I don't know about you guys, but for me, um, whenever I'm watching a show or a movie, there are certain times where you just feel like you get just sucked into the story, right? You start watching it, and you start, like, feeling things from it. And I can remember there was a time uh, not too long ago where Sarah and I were watching TV, just flipping through the channels, and we, we caught a show, and I don't even know what show it was, but it was just in the middle of the show, but it just kind of trapped us. We were like, got sucked in immediately. And so we start watching this, this show, and, and what happened was there was this, this evil man and his organization, and they were going into homes, and they were kidnapping these children and forcing them to kill their families, and then taking them and making them into child soldiers. And so it, it starts playing out throughout the rest of the show, and as it's playing out, as we see this wicked and evil man do these things, I just began to get just infuriated. I, was, I found myself being frustrated and angry and, and thinking, like, if I could just come through this TV right now, I could do something about this. Like, I'm, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go. And by the end of the show, I'm, I'm convinced that I could have single-handedly taken this guy down and ended this whole thing, ended all this injustice that was happening, and just, just worked up from it. And I look over, and I see Sarah sitting there, and she's got just like tears in her eyes. And she had been crying from the show. See, she had a different response than me. Her, her response was, was just heartbroken over the injustice that was happening, over these families and these kids and what was happening. But, but either way, we watched the show, and we had this response. Now, two things I learned from this. One, my wife Sarah and I are wired very, very differently, right? <laughs> When, when she sees injustice and things like that happen, it breaks her heart. And she can be emotional sometimes, so sometimes it means tears fall, even if it's just a commercial. But she, she has her heart just broken at the mistreatment and the injustice of others. And then for me, when I see it, I just get frustrated. I get angry. I want to do something about it. I want justice to, to, to ring true in these situations. But the, the other thing that I think we see with that is, I don't think we are alone in that when, when we see injustice happen, we have this longing, this sense for justice to come. We have this, this longing for right or for wrong to be made right. We have this sense within us. And, and what I believe that sense comes from is that we were all created in the image of God. That we are all image bearers of God. And a part of the character of God is that he is a just God. He's a righteous God. And so we have a longing for justice at some level. Now, our, as image bearers, we have been distorted from the fall and from sin and, and broken from that. And that's why there's injustice even in the world to begin with. But we still carry this sense and this longing for justice, this longing for wrong to be made right. And the reason why I'm telling you that is tonight we're in Ecclesiastes and we're continuing our series called Chasing the Wind. And we're going to look at what Ecclesiastes has to say about the pursuit of justice. So before we get into the text, I want to give a little bit of a background in case you, you haven't been with us. Ecclesiastes was written by either King Solomon or someone who's similar to King Solomon or someone writing from a Solomon-like persona. And it's, it's written from the perspective of this teacher who's giving wisdom and advice. And the important thing to know is it, it's, it's someone who has power and wealth and wisdom who's looking out at the world and all the world has to offer and saying, hey, what is the purpose of life? It's chasing all these different pursuits to find what the meaning is in all of it. 
And the teacher is going to say at the very beginning, not going to hide the results. The teacher says, it's all meaningless. That it is vanity of vanities is what some translations say. And that word vanity is the Hebrew word hevel. And hevel is, is smoke or fog. It's, it's a vapor. And he says, it is all hevel of hevels. It is as hevel as it could possibly be. And we talked about how this has layered meanings. There's, there's uh, nuances to it. And, and thinking about smoke and fog, in some senses, it's, it's temporary. It's fleeting. It's, it's something that, that kind of is here for one moment, but then gone the next moment. It's also something that has the appearance of form, that, that's something that I feel like I can grab, but when I try to grab it, it's, it's nothing. It's empty. It's not there. And then we also talked about how it's confusing, that when we are in the midst of a deep fog or a lot of smoke, it's disorienting, that it seems to be some way, but we can't quite put our finger on it. And, and what he's saying when he looks at life under the sun, life um, as, if, as if there is no God, as if there is no heaven, if there's life under the sun, that it's just heaven. It's, it's empty, it's fleeting, it's, it's just confusing at times. And, and so he goes through these different pursuits of life and, and tries to give us wisdom on them. And tonight, we're going to look at the teacher's observation of justice. Now, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer before we get into the text. When you start saying the word justice in, in our day and time, in our culture, that is a hot-button thing. That is something that people get very heated over. People are very passionate about certain things, and there's all sorts of division and conflict and tension surrounding justice and, and things of that nature. And so I just want to throw out the, the disclaimer that, that we're not going to give like an exhaustive look at this topic. Um, it's more of a big picture, uh, general principles. Um, and I also want to, to say, just give me some grace as we work through this. There's probably some things that you would like for me to talk about that I'm not going to end up covering or not have the time to cover. Um, there might even be some things that I say that might rub you the wrong way and frustrate you. And what I'm asking for is just give me some grace. And if you want to talk afterwards and go grab coffee someday, I would love to sit down and talk with you about it. But, but have some grace as we move through and, and walk through um, what the Ecclesiastes says about this topic of justice. So with that, you can turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, or if you got an outline when you came in, it'll be on there as well. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to start off by reading verse 16. It says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And so he, he, he looks out and he says, I see in this, this world, I see so much injustice, so much wickedness. He says, I look in the place, the, the place of justice, where there's supposed to be justice, and it's wicked, it's evil. I look in the place where it's supposed to be righteous and holy, and yet it's wicked, and there's, there's evil there. And I think we get that, right? Like, I feel like tonight I don't have to sit down and point out all these different cases of injustice because we don't have to look too far or too hard to see that and to understand that. Um, in, in this case, now you're talking about looking at the place of righteousness, looking at the place of where justice is supposed to happen. I think it, it brings to, to our minds like the place of justice, like the courtrooms and law enforcement and things like that. And the place of righteousness, thinking of, of like religious places like churches and things like that. He says, even in these places, I find wickedness. And I know for me personally, I, I've seen this firsthand. Like, I, I've seen firsthand someone who was in a place of authority with law enforcement 
and who was also a church leader, hurt some of my friends and is now in prison for that. Like, we've seen this firsthand that even in these places where we expect to find good, there's still wickedness and there's injustice that happens. Continuing on in verse 17, it says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. We're going to come back to that verse, so put a mark there. I said in my heart, uh, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so another. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. So he's looking and he says, he says I see that, that man's showing us that we are really beasts. And in these verses it called back some language from Genesis where, where God calls mankind to rule over and have dominion over the earth and the things of the earth. That have dominion over the beasts and to be co-rulers and co-reigners with God. But we find in Genesis 3 that mankind instead submits to the rule of beast. They submit to the serpent who deceived Eve and, and in turn mankind. And so then we see from there mankind spirals and begins to look more and more like beasts rather than princes and princesses of God. That if you think about beasts, they, they have this carnal nature, right? They act on instinct. They act out of selfish ambition. They they have no sense of morality or justice. They just, they act out of self-preservation and whatever they feel like doing, they do. And if we look at mankind, if we were honest, we look a lot more like beasts than we would like to admit. Where we don't have to look far to find mankind acting without a sense of justice or morality. That sure, because we're image bearers of God, we'll do good things from time to time and we'll, we'll fight for justice and we'll, we'll do good. But because we are fallen image bearers, because we've been twisted by sinfulness in our hearts, we a lot of times look more like beasts. We trample over one another. We hurt one another. We, out of self-preservation, step over other people and harm other people. And we act on instinct and whatever fleshly desire comes up, we pursue. We very much are like beasts. And he says, just like beasts, we both die. From, from dust we were created to dust we return. And we both, us and the animals, have the same sustaining breath from God. That God gave us breath, he gave them breath, and he sustains us with that. But then one day we will die, and he says, who knows what happens when they die? Now the Bible's clear on what happens uh, when we die, but this again is looking from more of an earthly perspective. And he says, when you die, you don't know what happens next. You don't know what's going to come after that. We don't have the opportunity to look and see, and we can hope and we can think, but we don't know where the animals go. We don't know where we go. At the end of the day, we are just like beasts. And then he says in verse 22, he repeated something that he's been saying consistently throughout the, the letters or the book so far. So I saw that there is nothing better than a, that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? He says, life is short, and our time is here for but a season, and so enjoy the lot in life that God has given you. Enjoy the gift of life and the time that you have. Continuing in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. 
and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. He says, I look and I see, I see the wickedness. I see people who are being taken advantage of, being oppressed, being afflicted, who are on the, the wrong end of wickedness. And I see them and I see them in their tears and, and there's no one there to comfort them. And it just feels so wrong, especially when I look and I see that those who are the ones doing the oppressing, nothing wrong is happening to them. That good keeps coming to them. In fact, they continue to get more and more powerful. And I look at that and I see that it's not right. And again, we don't have to look far to see that, right? We see people who, who are doing good and trying to do the right thing and, and they end up oppressed and afflicted and hurt in some way. And then we see people who are living in wickedness and sin and they seem to be prospering and gaining even more power. He continues in verses 2 through 3. He says, And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. He says, When I look at all the wickedness that happens and takes place, I see all that happens and all that we have to endure, and I say, It is just better to die. It's better. That, that our life is taken so we don't have to endure. Better yet, even better than that, it's better that we're not even born. Better that we don't even enter into this earth to be able to see and endure some of these things. And he's going to pick up in, in verse uh, 8 of chapter 5, continuing talking about um, justice and injustice. It says, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at that matter. For the high officials watch by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So he says, I, I look at the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness. He said, when you see all these things happening, he said, don't be amazed. He said, that is just mankind revealing that they are just like animals, them acting on their instincts, that them taking advantage of others. Don't be surprised when you see these things. And he says, when you, when you see it and you see that there's a king over them, he said, just know that there's a king over that king. And in, in some ways it's supposed to be comforting, saying, hey, there's checks and balances there that typically when there's some sort of authority or power that they usually have someone to keep them in check. So maybe that their injustice will go checked and injustice will be brought. So it's meant to be comforting. But on the other end, we also know that a lot of times people in power protect other people in power. That when injustice happens, that the that someone who's supposed to keep them in check ends up protecting them. And so it uh, continues on in injustice. And then in, in verse 9, that's either him commenting and saying, but we know that, that government and structure is necessary because we need that for human flourishing. Or it's him taking a jab at the hierarchy. It's him saying, yeah, good thing we have a king with all this injustice. But either way, the conclusion that the writer of Ecclesiastes come to, the conclusion of the teacher is that the pursuit of justice is hevel. It is meaningless, it is fleeting and elusive. That, that it's, even if we achieve it in some level, it's really just empty. It doesn't last. It's, it's confusing how this life works. It, it's like on those old cartoons when, you know, they're in like the boat and it starts leaking and you plug that one hole and then another one starts springing forward and you plug that one and another one. 
And every time, even if you achieve justice in some way, shape, or form, because the heart of man is so wicked, another justice, injustice is going to spring up. You can't actually accomplish full justice. The pursuit of justice as an end-all, be-all, it's meaningless. It's, it's pointless. But when we read this in light of all of Ecclesiastes, we see that he does offer some hope. Um, I told you to mark on verse 17 in chapter 3, where it says that God will judge every deed at its appointed time. The, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to rest in the, the truth that God will judge. That at its appointed time, we don't know when that is, but at his appointed time, he, the just judge, will come and judge and make right every wrong. That's the conclusion. In fact, the Ecclesiastes there in uh, chapter 12, verses 13 through 14, says this is, this is it. This is all that I've seen. This is the whole duty of man to fear God, keep his commandments, because God will come and he will judge every deed. That he will right every wrong, every injustice he will have an answer for. But what we've said this whole time is that at face value, that's still not quite good news for us. That on face value, the fact that God will come and judge every injustice is actually quite terrifying for us. And here's why. Because we ourselves are perpetrators of injustice. That we don't have to look far and look hard at our lives to see times where we have hurt one another. We've lied and mistreated other people. Where we have, have offended and violated others. And even more than that, we don't have to look hard to see in our lives where we have offended and violated the commands of a holy and perfect God. And so this judge that's coming to judge is coming to judge us. And this is terrifying and this doesn't seem like good news. But what we've said this whole time is as we read Ecclesiastes, we read it in light of the full counsel of Scripture. We read it in light of everything that we see in Scripture. And what we see in Scripture is that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That God loved us and that though we rebelled against us, he sent Jesus fully God, fully man, and Jesus lived the perfect righteous life that we could not live. And there at the end of his life, he who was blameless took on blame. He who was innocent took on our guilt. He who did no wrong was punished. And he who did not perpetrate any injustice took on judgment and wrath on our behalf. And there on the cross, Jesus underwent the greatest injustice that there ever has been and ever will be. That God himself, holy and perfect in every way, allowed evil and wicked and twisted people to crucify and kill him on that cross. The greatest injustice all undergone to make right, wrong things right. Because what we see is that though he died on the cross, he arose in victory on the third day. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over injustice itself. And what we believe and what we see in Scripture is that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we believe and trust in who he is and what he did on the cross, believe and trust that he was raised from the grave on our behalf, then we believe that our sins are forgiven, our trespasses nailed and crucified to his cross, and then his righteousness placed on us. So when our holy and perfect God comes down to judge us, when we face him in judgment, we don't have to fear anything. Because when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And all of our sinful and, and all of our 
uh, acts of injustice, words of injustice, thoughts of injustice are crucified on his cross and dealt with. And we get to walk in, in eternity in relationship with him. And it's all through him. That's the hope that we have, that our wickedness is punished. And we have hope that not only our wickedness is punished, but all wickedness is punished. Every single wrongdoing, every single act of wickedness, every single act of injustice is either dealt with on the cross of Christ or punished in eternity by God's wrath. Every single wickedness, every single injustice is made right through God. And that is the hope that we have. And so in light of this, the big idea that we have in Ecclesiastes, the big idea is that justice in and of itself cannot be my ultimate pursuit. But Jesus must be my ultimate pursuit. That justice in and of itself cannot be my ultimate pursuit, but Jesus must be my ultimate pursuit. And hear me say this, when you pursue the face of Jesus, you will begin to look like him. You will be shaped and conformed into his image, the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And what you, you find is you will begin to display his attributes and the attributes of God. And what we know from scripture is that God himself is just. He is a God of justice. He is the standard for justice. It tells us in Psalm 146, 7 through 9, that the Lord set the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. It also tells us in Jeremiah, 29, or Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God is a God of justice. It is all throughout the pages of scripture. I, I mean, in my, my daily devotion time right now, I'm in the book of Leviticus. It's so much fun. But in Leviticus, even with all of these commands and all these rules that we're seeing, what we see is the heart of God. That he is making sure that that wrong gets punished and it's dealt with and done right. He, he sees his heart, that he is a just judge. And as the just judge, when we come to Christ, we get formed and shaped into his image and we take on his attribute of justice and he calls us, as he is just, to be just. That we are supposed to, uh, to pursue justice and righteousness as he is. And in Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, it says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. It says, speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Speak for those and, and, and judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And, and a verse that you probably all heard before in Micah uh, 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. He says, I am calling you that as I am just, to you be just. And, and justice is both righting wrongdoings and it's doing right. That it's, it's taking what's been wrong and making it right and it's you pursuing what is right daily. It's a pursuit of justice and righteousness. And so as we um, kind of see that big principle, I want us to then shift and say, okay, what does it look like then 
for me as a follower of Jesus to then pursue justice? What does that look like? And I want to give us a few principles, but again, I want to give you a disclaimer. This most certainly is not exhaustive, and this is not me telling you certain instances on how you're supposed to respond. This is more so us looking at general biblical principles and applying them to our lives so that we can then navigate what it means to follow Jesus and pursue justice. So here's a few few principles for us on the Christian pursuit of justice. Number one is we must see justice as a means of pointing to the kingdom. We must see justice as a means of pointing to the kingdom. Here's the thing. Even if every single uh, justice or injustice is, is made right, even if, um, if every single thing of injustice is made right, but the sins are not dealt with either on the cross of Christ, then they will, they will be dealt with in eternity. They will be dealt with by the wrath of God. So here's what I'm saying. If all the homeless are sheltered, if all the orphans find loving families, if victims see their oppressors come to justice, but if the injustice of sin is not dealt with on the cross of Christ, it will be dealt with in eternity. And those things are just a band-aid on a terminal cancer. We, we as Christians have a more full, of true, full view of true justice. And true justice is, yes, us pursuing Uh, making wrongdoings right in this life and in this earth is absolutely that, but it's even more than that looking and seeing that wrongdoings are are, um, crucified on the cross of Christ, that we find life in Christ. That's the big pursuit. Pastor uh, Rayshon Graves, he says it this way, he says, we speak and act against injustice, not in an attempt to create a utopian society, but in a spirit-empowered effort to point to the true utopian society to come. That as Christians, we seek justice, we fight for justice, we have a heart and a passion for justice so that we can point to the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom that that is going to be ushered in when Christ comes and retrieves his bride, the kingdom where there is no more pain, no more tears, no more injustice. We seek and fight for justice so that we can point to that kingdom that is to come. So we must see justice as a means of pointing to that kingdom. Number two is we must work from the inside out. We must work from the inside out. So, so uh, King David, when he was uh, king in, in Israel, uh, a lot of us have probably heard the story where he, he sees another man's wife named Bathsheba. And he takes her for his own. He sleeps with her. And, and at best it's adultery and at worst it's rape. And he, she ends up getting pregnant, and he tries to cover up his wrongdoing by bringing her wife home. And when he brings uh, her husband home, Uriah, he tries to convince him to sleep with her, to cover it up, but he wouldn't do it. And so to cover that up, he has Uriah killed on battle. And not only does he end up getting killed, but several other men. It's this just really egregious acts of sin, sin upon sin upon sin. It's just this egregious act of injustice. But David, thinking it's all done and resolved, he kind of goes on. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and he tells him this story. He says that there is a rich man and there's a poor man. And the rich man, he's got a lot of herds and a lot of flocks, but the poor man, he can't afford it. He buys this one little lamb and he loves this lamb and he cares for this lamb. 
This lamb sits in his lap and drinks from his cup. It plays with his kids. It says that this lamb is like a daughter to him. But the rich man, when this traveler was passing through, didn't want to sacrifice one of his uh, flock to, to feed this traveler. And so he steals the one little lamb from that poor man and, and sacrifices it and gives it to this traveler. And when King David heard this, he kind of interjects and he is outraged. He is infuriated at this injustice that has takes place. He says, this man should be killed and the retribution should be made for this, should be paid in fourfold. He is outraged at this injustice. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, you are that man. You are the man. You are the rich man who took advantage of this poor man. You are the one. You are outraged about this injustice of some random man in this kingdom, yet you are blind to the injustice that's in your heart. I think we often can find ourselves like David, where we find ourselves outraged at the injustices going around us and, and injustices that are thousands of miles away, which we should be outraged about, but we're blind to it, it's in our heart. So many people, I think, are outraged at some, some thing that's happening miles and miles away while they're sitting in class and they're cheating their way through their classes. Or while they're, they're lying to their friends or where they're, they're being deceptive in other ways. They're, they're outraged at some foreign injustice, which again, as they should be, but they're blind to the injustice within them. We've got to start with our own heart. We've got to start with our own wickedness. David, when he hears the story, he's broken over his sin. We see in Psalm 51, he's crying out to God, and he, he's broken over the sin. He repents of it. He says, God, have mercy on me. God, create in me a clean heart. Purge this, this sin from me. God, keep me close to you. Restore the joy of my salvation. And what we find is the Lord forgives him. And after he's repented of the sin, as he's writing the psalm, he then is able to look outward at the injustice that's happening around the world. He then says, I will then teach transgressors your ways. I'll teach those who are far from you about your commands. See, it starts with us looking at our hearts. It's us looking at the injustice and the wickedness of our own hearts, and only then can we turn outward. From there, we, we, we broaden out a little bit and we look at our relationships. We're called to be at peace with those around us. We're called to live at peace with, with others. But, but also often what I see is, is people who are passionate about some cause, something in the world, but passive about your little brother who's really struggling in school right now. You find yourself passionate about things that are going around the world, but you're, you're passive and, and blind to your professor whose class you go in every single week and that professor's depressed and doesn't even know Jesus. You find yourself pa passionate about some foreign cause, but then you're, you're passive uh, to the fact that your parents are really anxious, struggling, trying to make ends meet. You're, you're passionate about some foreign cause, but you're passive when your friends have been rude and inconsiderate to some waitress that you're eating at their, their table. See, we, we can have the tendency to look far, but then really right in front of us, there's so much injustice happening. And so we have to raise our eyes up to what's going on around us. Some of you I see, we, we have so much drama and contention with all these relationships around us, but we never consider that maybe we're the reason for the drama. We never stop to ask, where's the, where, what's wrong in my heart that's causing this? 
And so we have to look at ourselves, we have to look at our relationships, and then from there, yes, absolutely, look into the community. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For its welfare, you will find your welfare. And this is written to, to Israel when they're in exile. He's like, this is not your forever home. This is not where you'll last. It's only for a season. But while you're here, seek the welfare of that city. That's why Northway, our, our, part of our vision is for the gospel, for the city. We know that, that we have a heavenly home and that this life we're just passing through. But while we're here, we want to seek the welfare of our city. And I can tell you there's so much brokenness in this city. If you don't believe me, download the 13WMAZ news app and turn your notifications on and you'll find out all the things that are happening and it's all really truly just so tragic. And so once we address our own heart, address our, our relationships, we can look up and be, find ways to address the things going on in our community. And then from there we look out and we absolutely are passionate about the causes of the world and the injustices of the world. But it must work from the inside out. If we find ourselves being, being very passionate about the, the things of the world and the outer world, but we're not actually passionate about what's going on within us, then our hearts might need reorienting. See, it's proper to, to be outraged at injustice that happens in, in all the different corners of our world and our lives. But we first and foremost and continually must look at our own injustice first. All right, number three, we must be people of truth and grace. We must be people of truth and grace. That is what Jesus was the embodiment of. He is the embodiment of truth and of grace. Uh, and so as Christians, we care about the truth. We care about the facts and what's right. And, and for us, we would, do be, we would do well and be wise to slow down and, and seek the truth. Uh, James 1, 19-20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In our culture, in our day and age, when, when something happens, it gets reported immediately. It's all over the news, all over social media. It, half the time, half the world seems to know before like five minutes. And all this information is coming and, and people jump to anger quick. We're, we're quick to anger with it. We, we're quick to speak on these things. And, and the wisdom of Scripture says, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Slow to anger. Slow to anger is a characteristic of God. He is a just God, but he's also patient and slow to anger. And we would do well to wait and seek the truth before we jump to conclusions. Um, there's a, a guy named Philip, Philip Holmes, who's the director of communications at RTS, and he says it this, he says, injustice is guaranteed when we fail to listen, speak with haste, and act swiftly in anger. We are in dangerous territory when we pit the Bible's command to seek justice, correct oppression, against its command to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We're so anxious for justice, or at least our perception of justice, that we can't wait for the truth. But so-called justice that is absent of facts is no justice at all. It is just more injustice. When we are quick to jump to conclusions and quick to speak and, and not approaching things with wisdom, we end up actually adding to a part of the problem. We start being agents of division and contention. 
And so we would do well to think before we speak, to, to do our research and, and try to understand. And we do it all from a place of humility, knowing that, that most situations we won't have all the information and can't have all the information. We weren't there and, and we aren't, don't understand it all. And so we hold our views with, with humility. And so we, we care about truth, but we care about grace as well. Ephesians 6.12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We need to remember that people are not our enemies. People are not our enemies. Other human beings are either brothers and sisters in Christ, or they are image bearers who are in need of salvation. That either way, they're not our enemies. And so we've got to find the common ground of, of love for one another. And so, yes, when it comes to certain social issues, we discuss and we, we debate how to practically carry out justice and, and the way it go, we go about it, but we do it all from having a heart from others. We should all agree that, that we don't want our fellow man to, to starve, right? We don't want our fellow man to, to go hungry. And so, so we can have that baseline. Now, we can discuss and, and, and uh, debate on what it looks like to actually uh, bring solution to that problem, but we should all find common ground. Say, hey, we don't want this to be the case. We, we should all find common ground at lamenting when we see these, these tragedies, tragedies, tragedies taking place where, where we see someone being shot and murdered. We could say, hey, that was an image bearer of God. So, so no matter what happened, no matter what was done or what was said or how it happened, we should all find common ground and say, hey, this is not good. This breaks our heart that when there's violence that takes place, or, or when people are hurting, no matter what happened, we should be able to find common ground and say, hey, I don't like it when you hurt. It hurts me when you hurt. We should have compassion because that's the nature of Christ. So we find common ground in our love and care for others. And then, yeah, of course, we can debate and talk through how the best solution for these things are. But it, we have to have the foundation of love of fellow man because we're all image bearers of God. And we know that if it weren't for the grace of God... That we, would, we wouldn't be the same. That we could, we could be the same way as the people that we're judging there. And so we move towards others with love and with grace, and with truth and with grace. And then finally, the last one is we must be practical. We must be practical. Take measured steps. It's easy whenever uh, you're especially young and in college, it's like, all right, that's right. Mercer's thing is like we major in changing the world. It's like, yes, I'm going to change the world. I got this. And like, that's a great thing to be passionate about. But it's also wise to say, okay, practically, how am I going to be an agent for justice under the kingdom of God? Um, again, start and work your inside out. Look within yourself. Look at your inner circle. Look at the places you have impact. And then raise your eyes as you go out. A, a very practical thing that you can do it anywhere is pray. Spend time praying for these things, praying for these causes. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem like much of an action there. And I hear you, but I love what John Piper says. He says, if prayer seems to you a diversion from productivity, remember God does more in five seconds than we can in five hours. If we ever fall prey to saying like, ah, just... I don't know if praying doesn't feel like doing much. we got to remember who's the one with true authority and power here. And he's the one who has the power to make change that, honestly, it doesn't happen apart from his allowance anyways. And so we must find ourselves given over to prayer. Another thing is look at your passions. Look at what excites you. It's impossible for you to, to try to carry out justice to every single thing in this world. And so find something that excites you that you're passionate about. 
I can remember a few years ago, we, at the church I was at last, we had this nursing home ministry where you go to the nursing home and you spend time with them. And I got to tell you, if I'm going to be honest with you, that's just not my thing. I did it. I did it with a smile on my face, but just not my favorite place to be. Um, but I was talking to a girl who was there who was a part of our ministry, and she's like, I love this. Like, I love old people. It just excites me to be around them. To, the, the smell doesn't bother me. And, and she, she was even told me, she's like, even like the thought of like working here and, and having to like bathe them and change their diapers, like that excites me. And I'm like, I think you know what you should do then with your life. If that's what you're passionate about, go and do it. That's okay that I, that wasn't my thing. But for her, it was her thing. And we all have different things and passions. So I'd, I'd say find something that you're passionate about about and then take practical steps in, in carrying out that passion. Um, think about what roots can you address, like some things that are practical that you can do. Look at organizations who are, are solving these problems and, and, and research them and, and make sure they're legitimate. Do take practical steps to do these things. So here they are. We must see justice as a means of pointing to the kingdom. We must work from the inside out. We must be people of truth and grace. And we must be practical. Those are biblical principles to take in, in seeking justice. So just, just closing for, for us this morning or tonight. Um, for those of you who are believers, some of you are, are pretty passive right now when it comes to justice. Like your heart's kind of calloused and you hear about brokenness that goes on in the world and your city and, and throughout the different pockets of the world. You hear about, see brokenness within your friendships and, and families and you're numb to it. You need to understand that justice is close to the heart of God. That he hurts when people hurt. He has compassion and that he loves them. And so for you, maybe your starting point is praying and asking God to burden your heart for the brokenness of the world around you. To burden and weigh on your heart the, these areas of, of injustice and, and that he would make mold you and shape you to the image of Christ and, and shape you into someone who is passionate for, for justice. Some of you, you you're passionate. You're, you're fired up. And I, I don't want you to hear me trying to quell your passions and, and dial you back. I'm not trying to tell you to not be passionate. I'm just trying to make sure that you're aimed at the right target with your passion. And the right target is being aimed at Christ at seeking his face, pursuing him, getting to know him. And as you do that, again, he will shape and he will mold your heart, starting from the inside out. Some of you, you're passionate about so many different causes, and that's great, but you've got some blind spots of injustice within you that you need to address, that you need to take the approach of, of David and say, God, forgive me, purge my heart, clean my heart, bring me near to yourself, help me repent of this. And then I will teach transgressors your way. Then I will set my gaze outward. And for those of you who are unbelievers, you need to understand this. Those of you who are not in Christ, you are a perpetrator of injustice. And there's a just God that is coming to hold you accountable. And you're either going to be held accountable for your thoughts, for your words, for your deeds. Or you're going to turn and trust Jesus. And you're going to have his righteousness placed on you. And you're going to be held accountable for his good works, his deeds, his righteousness. My hope and my prayer is that you would turn to Jesus and trust him. For all of us, when we, when we study uh, God's heart and his, his just nature, I, my hope is that it stirs our heart's affections to worship him. 
to, to love him more. And that in turn we will love the things he loves and we will hate the things he hates. And that it just stirs our heart's affection for, for him and for others. And that's my hope and my prayer for us.